Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You must know at least one ghost story, stepfather. Everyone knows one. Ah, yes. Yes, indeed. All the time I had been listening to their ghoulish, lurid inventions and their howling and groans, the one thought that had been in my mind and the only thing I could have said was, No, no, you have none of you any idea. This is all nonsense, fantasy. It is not like this. Nothing so blood-curdling and becreeped and crude, not so laughable. The truth is quite other and altogether more terrible. Come on, stepfather. Don't be an old spoilsport. Arthur, do your stuff, stepfather. Surely you're not going to let us down. I stood up, unable to bear it any longer. I am sorry to disappoint you, I said, but I have no story to tell and went quickly from the room and from the house. Wow. I'm scared already. <laughs> good, isn't it? It's a good start. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode, we take a book out into the wild to see whether the real world matches up with the world of fiction. Hello, I'm Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and a producer of immersive fictions. I'm Lloyd Shepard. I'm a writer and a digital producer, not immersive fictions, factual non-immersive fictions. Oh, but where we will be immersing ourselves we are today, immersing won't our, we? Yeah, we are immersing ourselves in a world of horror and fear and terrible, terrible buried memories. Ooh, I know. <laughs> that sounds strangely unspecific. Well, it, it's it's an it's an interesting one. We're doing the Woman in Black by Susan Hill. The Woman in Black by Susan Hill, a ghost story. A ghost story, a very on on the face of it, a very traditional ghost story. Yes, which uh, would ma- make you believe that the whole thing might be very unspecific about dates and locations. So the problem is, therefore, that where does it take us? And where did it happen? When did it happen? This is a challenge. This one. Yeah. This is a challenge because the writer Susan Hill has deliberately set a lot of false trails about uh, where it could take place. In order for it to be spooky and timeless, she has been guarded about locations. Uh, So we've had to be a bit creative, haven't we? We have had to be a bit creative. I think we've arrived at an interesting conclusion. I believe so. So we started sensibly in her hometown where she grew up in yeah, Scarborough. Scarborough. We thought that might provide a good starting point. On the point east coast of England. And then we travelled south. We travelled south from there. And we're looking for a town called... Criffin Gifford. Criffin Gifford is the name of the town. In the market the, in town. A market town. Where uh, Arthur Kipps, a solicitor, is sent to deal with the uh, will and estate of a... Mrs. Drablow. Mrs. Drablow. Of Eelmarsh House. Yes. So he has to come up from London yep. to a strange and empty place somewhere on the east coast yeah. where there's a lone house out at, almost out at sea along a causeway. Which you can only access at low tide. So he has to go to, he has to take a train to Critton Gifford yep. and then a pony and trap out yeah. to the house. Out to the house. So we've got two areas we're going to explore in this podcast. Right. We're going to do Yorkshire, east 
Ooh, we're going to start at yeah. Scarborough on the east coast, mm. and then we're going to work our way south to yep. South Yorkshire, near Hull, actually, sort of just above Hull. Yeah. And then we're going to go over the Humber mm-hmm. uh, and into Lincolnshire. Yes, into the flats of Lincolnshire. The flatlands of Lincolnshire, where we had a very spooky time. You weren't scared enough. I well, you think. tried to scare, you had a whole thing about trying to scare me. I found some very good I was terrified signs. at one point. And then at another point, I was deeply skeptical about what you were asking me to do, and I refused. <laughs> Well, with that little teaser, more of which are on. Excellent. Well, let's get get let's, let's get, get going. going. Let's go to Scarborough. Not so scary there. No, no, it's not scary. Children accept the status quo. You live in a place, and that's how it is. But I think I knew then that being born and raised in Scarborough on the Yorkshire coast was special, and would form me as a writer. It did, and not only because the adaptation of my ghost story, The Woman in Black, started life there at the Stephen Joseph Theatre. The coastline, the cliffs, the sea, the beautiful curve of South Bay, the public gardens, the cliff trams, the smell of rock pools, the massive winter storms, all have threaded in and out of my dreams for 70 plus years. That's very good, isn't it? That's Susan Hill speaking about growing up in Scarborough. We are sitting on a bench above South Bay, South Cliff. With a splendid view looking back over Scarborough. The view is just spectacular. It's a beautiful April day in Yorkshire. Windy. Very windy. We decided to start the road trip in, uh, in Scarborough because this is where Susan Hill started. Yes. She says here in a, interview, a long interview in The Guardian in 2018, Not only the landscape was memorable, I was born in 1942 and so grew up during the last years of the war and into the post-war era. I remember the air raid sirens, my infant-sized gas mask and white rings painted round the huge trees that lined the roads to guide us when walking in the blackout. Scarborough received a few leftover bombs dropped by enemy planes as they returned home from raids over the northern industrial cities. My first haunted place was the bombed shell of St Margaret's Girls' School, I peered through the keep-out fences, imagining the ghosts. Scarborough got off lightly, even though the war was like an invisible fog seeping everywhere. And then it ended, though in some strange sense, it never really went away. (laughs) She's really good, isn't she? That's very good. We drove past the site of St Margaret's Girls' School because we went down um, the, the road. St Margaret's Road. There is a photograph of that school on a Facebook group of people who remember it. Right. So I could pin down the location of it. And it does look quite sort of spooky as a place. It's a, it's a care home now. It's a care home now. It's quite spooky now. <laughs> For different reasons. So we've we found our first haunted place. Our first haunted place of the day. Uh, and the one that started off her interest in ghost stories. Yeah. And then the second thing of interesting is that the war is a fog. Yeah. There's a lot of fog in this book. A lot of fog. A lot of, lot of, they call them frets. Yeah, sea frets, and there's fog in London. Yeah. So the fog's a big theme. Yeah. Now I'm quite interested in the fact that the fog is the war that's never talked about. No. Because there's not one mention in this book. Of the war. Of any war. No. It's, it's good to come to Scarborough. It says here it's a place of faded gentility at one end, poverty, especially among fishing families, at the other. The old ladies, so many spinsters accompanying their elderly parents on slow walks along the Esplanade, and the retired wool merchants from the West Riding lived respectively either in a poverty that kept up appearances at all costs, or in great wealth on the South Cliff, where we are. Where we are. There were far more of the former, of course, and they all along with survivors from the First World War, the generals, majors, lieutenant colonels, sat out their days on benches, which we were on, Mm -hmm. or in bath chairs, looking at the North Sea. They lodged first in my mind, later in my early books. So I also think a similarity with Day of Triffords is that business of of the men having been at war, not wanting to talk about it Mm. or or really linger on its memory at all because they're so traumatised and there's lots of stiff upper lip and... I mustn't talk about my emotions. Yeah. And it seems to me that maybe that she grew up in Scarborough with a lot of those people around her. Yeah. 
and that the narrator of this book is, is a man like that. He doesn't talk about this trauma for many, many years No, in the book. And he oh, the trauma of the book, the, what happens to him in the book. He doesn't mean, talk yeah. to his family about it, and when he starts to talk about it, he has to write it down and seal it up and say, I'm there, I've said I put, it, but I I've not actually now. spoken about it. I've put it, it away now, yeah, <laughs> yes. Suppress it. If he lifts the lid on his emotions at all, it's going to just spill out and be not controllable. Yeah. And that's all coming out of Scarborough. And her, her childhood. Yeah. Well, Scarborough's very beautiful. There's it doesn't bo- seem very scary from up here. It looks rather there's lovely. A, and there's, there's a, a fairground going across the bay. There's the abbey on the other headland. Yeah. It doesn't. It, yeah, I don't feel like a ghostly experience would happen here, but you never know. Well, give it a few hours. Anyway, I've got plenty of other horrible places to take you. Excellent. When you're in grief, you go mad. You do actually, at certain points, go mad. And you do strange things, say strange things. And I wrote down, as far as I could, all those things. And people wrote and said, "Um, I'm just so glad you did that because I thought it was only me. I thought I was completely off the wall and I could never have told anybody. And suddenly I realised that actually I was probably normal. And, and I could then deal with it and leave it behind. And, and that, you know, was quite important, I think. So, Susan Hill, born 1942. Mm-hmm. She lived in Scarborough till I think, about her teens or something like that, or maybe a little bit earlier. And then her dad got a job in Coventry. So she lived in Coventry, actually. That's kind of strange, kind of, you know, from the, from the coast to deep yeah, inland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then she got a university place in London and immediately was writing novels. Really? Yeah, yeah. She, and very successfully, almost immediately. The first sort of tragedy in her life, actually, was that she was engaged to the organist of Coventry Cathedral. Oh, really? But sadly, he died of a coronary in 1972 before they could get married. Right. And I, I think, well, obviously, that was very, very shocking yeah she's written about that experience and i have to say a lot of her books are about death and grieving she did get married to a shakespeare scholar stanley wells stanley wells in 1975 so not that long after her fiance died so she would have been what 33 something like that yeah and she had a daughter in 77 she had another daughter in 1985 just after the publication a woman in black. A woman in black. But in between, she had a daughter born prematurely. Now, I am quoting Wikipedia here, and I did start looking for some research about this. So a middle daughter, Imogen, was born prematurely and died at the age of five weeks. Now, I found another blog, and I don't trust these blogs anymore, <laughs> but it talked of 1984 as a oh, date right. for the death of the child. year after. I talk about the death of the child because... Because Susan Hill has written about the death of her daughter. So I feel we're okay to talk about it Mm. in public. And in fact, in one of her interviews, she talks about how she wrote about it because she felt it might help other people deal with grief and child loss and uh, articulating was a good thing. And I think, ooh... That that's what this book's about, isn't it? Well, absolutely, it's about grief. And I mean, uh, grief or not grieving. The point that she writes a book about lost children in 1983 and then loses one herself in 1984 is a bit rough, isn't it? It's a bit rough. Presumably when she was writing it, she wasn't actually pregnant with the with the child because she would have been writing in 82. Now, the other extraordinary and prurient thing I'd love to talk about is that actually her marriage ended in 2013. Actually, it didn't end. I think they agreed to separate. Yeah. But they agreed to separate because she ran off with a woman. She ran off with the um, the creator of Waking the Dead. Yes, a woman in black. Which is <laughs> no, it wasn't a woman in black. <laughs> but it was extraordinary. For, well, so. not extraordinary. You're be, again, you're being normative. You'd keep doing this in the podcast. No, I was talking more about the uh, the fact that the woman the woman who wrote the woman in black ends up living with the the creator of Waking the Dead. Yeah, the, this imagine is not, the conversations. This is a, <laughs> perhaps not surprising that a lot of her novels are quite dark. Yeah, the other thing they often involve his children yeah. and children being either killed or in one very famous one which is I'm the King of the Castle have you ever read that book? No I've never read that I'm the King of the Castle is, is actually often on the school's list and it's a really dark tale about bullying and two boys who hate who have to live in the same house and it ends with one of them uh, committing suicide Blimey 
It's really dark. Blimey. But it's but it's very on the nose as well. I think probably it is quite a yeah. strong book to have in the classroom and to talk about. She was a very spiky, punchy presence on social media for a, for a good few years. She was quite often getting into scraps with people about this and that. Okay. I think her politics are, it's fair to say, to the right. Okay. Um, well, this book is quite sort of conservative with a small c, would you say? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I always got the sense from her that she had very sort of, you know, non, actually non-conformist, non-traditional views on a lot of subjects. Yes. I think she quit Twitter some years ago because... She got a lot of abuse on there and, uh, you know, it became quite difficult for her. <laughs> Who doesn't? Oh, no, I know. Well, you either embrace it or you leave, right? <laughs> yeah, interesting life and, you know, rather a tragic one in lots of ways, I would say. Yes, which explains to me why there is a background hum of sadness in there this is, book. There is a real... That is, that, that's a very good way of describing it. There is a sadness to it, isn't there? Yeah. As well as a really quite upsetting horror, but there is a deep sadness there. Yeah. Anyway, let's, let's try and find Chris and Gifford. Via Driffield first candidate in uh, South Yorkshire. I rubbed my hand on the window, trying to see out into the darkness. We appeared to have stopped in the middle of open country and to be taking the full force of the wind that came howling across it. How far have we got to go? I tried not to sound concerned, but was feeling an unpleasant sensation of being isolated far from any human dwelling and trapped in this cold tomb of a railway carriage with its pitted mirror and stained dark wood panelling. Mr Daly took out his watch. Twelve miles. We're held up for the down train at Gapermouth Tunnel. The hill it runs through is the last bit of high ground for miles. You've come to the flatlands, Mr Kipps. That was my Mr Daly impression. You're no, a bit I, stunned. I, I, I understood You're a bit it. stunned. How um, you can have a go at me about my Kentish accent in Ridley Walker and then go do what you just did? Well, I thought it was all right. It's a far-flung part of the world. We don't get many visitors, I suppose, because there's nothing much to see. It all depends what you mean by nothing. There's the drowned churches and the swallowed-up village, he chuckled. Those are particularly fine examples of nothing to see. And we've a good wild ruin of an abbey with a handsome graveyard. You can get to it at low tide. It's all according to what takes your fancy. You know what I sound like? I sound like Daphne and Fraser. <laughs> you do a bit. That's, that's not, a, and that's not a good thing to sound like. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I, I, the more you do it, the more I'm finding it good. <laughs> <laughs> so we are trying to find the place that he's taking the train to in The Woman in Black, or at least a candidate. Critton Gifford. Critton Gifford, which is described as a market town. And obviously they go through a tunnel, so they're coming from the high land... Gape Mouth Tunnel. ...to the low land, the Gape Mouth Tunnel. You've brought me to uh, an interesting place in the East Riding of Yorkshire. Yes. Driffield. Yes. We're sitting in Driffield Station, which is on the line from Sheffield all the way up to Scarborough. The train heads east from Sheffield through Driffield. Sheffield to Driffield. Makes sense. Uh, and then turns north and goes all the way up the coast to Scarborough. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. that... As a young girl, Susan might have taken this train. So I'm thinking that from Scarborough down to Driffield, she might have looked out the window a fair bit and seen flatlands. And then when she got to Driffield, she saw a market town, a very traditional market town. And it's probably worth saying that between here and Scarborough, you go up onto the North Yorkshire Moors, right? Yes. So there's, in places it's very high. Mm. Um, it's, it's properly kind of moonscape landscape it's beautiful up there we drove down there from Scarborough to here yeah. so you would probably have to go through a fair few tunnels to get to here there's several abandoned railway tunnels because the other thing Driffield used to be a junction they used to be able to get the train from here and used to be able to head up towards some Moulton and Pickering so sort of north northwest of here Right. Um, up into the up into the moors. See, you're liking this trip more and more the more we talk about trains, aren't you? Well, the trains seem to me to be a key component of the uh, of understanding this, the mechanics of this novel. So you need the tunnels to get through the wolds and out onto the flats, don't you? Yeah. And then there's canals that then t- you can take out to canals. the sea. It's a very well connected, and it's a proper. You can walk down through the what's called Middle Street in Driffield, and it's a proper old market town. You know, it's really got grand buildings. Grand houses lining the main market street. Mm. My first impressions of the little market town, indeed it seemed scarcely larger than an overgrown village of Crithin Gifford, were distinctly favourable, 
When we arrived that night, Mr. Samuel Daly's car, a shining, capacious and blusher vehicle as I had travelled in in my life, took us swiftly the bare mile from the tiny station into the market square where we drew up outside the Gifford Arms. The Gifford Arms. Which is, you know, we're candidate for that. We've been to the market square and it's got a thing on it called the Bell Hotel. Yeah. It is about a mile from here. Yes, the car would be here to pick him up his driver and then they'd just drive down the main road. So as a candidate for... You're liking it? As a candidate for the market town, it's not bad. You know, I, I suppose what the other thing we're saying is that Criffin Gifford is obviously... Well, we don't think it's based on one particular town that she's just changed the name of. No, what we're going to do is we're going to put together a sort of collage of places yes. that will then give you a kind of real-world smorgasbord of places with which to put together your own yeah. woman and we're going to be saying adventure. We're going to be saying a lot about this book. It is obviously... It, when we say it's curiously unspecific about dates and locations, it's like deliberately unspecific about dates and locations. She's playing quite a few games with the reader, I think. As you do with ghost stories. As you do with ghost stories, indeed. So, you know, the otherworldliness is partly because she's, she's inventing a landscape. But I think we both think that she's based it on personal experience. and Yes, and so she's, she's she been. would have definitely been in Driffield. With, yeah, I'm pretty she, sure. She's living in Scarborough. Oh, she's alive. She could tell us. Yeah. Have you ever been in Driffield? Well, I wonder also if you were coming from Scarborough to London in the 1950s and the 1960s, for instance, whether you would have actually got the train from Scarborough to Sheffield oh. and then jumped on the train to London. I don't know. Or would you have gone down to Peterborough? I don't know. A couple of things about Driffield, though. Go on. Again, every time we go anywhere where there's sort of a market town and then there's flats and marshes and the sea, everywhere we're going to go in this journey, there's going to be a big old airfield... There's lots of airfields. RAF Driffield was absolutely massive. And in the Second World War, there was a really huge raid by the Germans on RAF Driffield that killed 14 people and took out dozens of planes. It was, it was targeted because it's one of the big bomber command uh, airfields. And there are bomber command fields around here, right, yeah. rather than so fighter just, squadron. So just as she doesn't mention the war in this book, no one mentions the war in this book, no one mentions the enormous amount of airfields mm. that would have been around here and military activity. It's a militarised coastline, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it, yeah it, doesn't people who don't know where, it doesn't matter where it's based on the East Coast, is it? Well, it's worth saying, isn't it? We are on the East Coast, we're facing the North Sea, yeah. i.e. Germany. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not surprising. Now, look, what we need to do now is try and match this up with going out onto the marshes and finding a a village where the sea is sort of taking it over. So for this to be a candidate for the actual location, it needs to be quite close to the coast, within three miles, is it? Essentially about that, Three yeah. to five miles. Um, and the coast needs to have, hope, you know, obviously I'm hoping for a, An abbey. a house a at house, the end of a causeway. The house at the end of a causeway. With a burial ground next to it. Yeah, OK. Can you, can you provide? No, I can't do that, but I'll tell you what I can give you. What? A ghost. Excellent. Was that the ghost alarm? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So the year the book was published was 1983. Yes, it was. Uh, we like to uh, talk a little bit about what else was going on in the world when the book appeared. Yes. And the world the book appeared into. So um, I think it makes it, it gives, every book we do, I think it gives it a context, which is quite good about yeah. where it's, what's going on around it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's fair to say there's nothing quite like this book and the stuff that I've, I've found. Well, so, in terms of um, horror and thrillers and ghosts? Uh, well, there, there is, there is one. There is one I've just mentioned. Well, there is Thriller. <laughs> which hit, <laughs> hit number one in, uh, in 1983. Karen Carpenter died. Oh. In 1983. Now you're making me sad. Um, the Who split up, brackets, for the first time. Yeah, now you're making me happy. A slightly weird one, which I didn't realise. I've only discovered this when I was doing research. Jim Gordon, the drummer for Derek and the Dominoes, killed his mother in 1983. <laughs> yeah, well, you picked and, some really and, weird things to remember. In a episode. And he's still incarcerated at California Medical Facility. Oh, Did you know God. that? No, I, no, I, I did not know, know that. that. No. Mick Jones was fired from The Clash. You're very rock centric. Well, here's, here's here's one that isn't rock centric. So this is this is very Chekhovian. This one. Yeah. Marvin Gaye bought his father a Christmas present, an unlicensed pistol. Oh no. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. not so. We know good. we know where that ended up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they were now, my look, ones. Oh, anything... one last one. ZTT Records was founded. That's more like it. Yeah. But let's let's just think about what the young people were doing, Lloyd, rather well, than all your old people. Records was founded. Thriller <laughs> came out. What do you want? Look, the things you're missing out on. The, the 1983 was was the year where pop became dominant, and none of all this rock nonsense you're talking about got swept away on a wave of Yazoo and Paul Young and Culture Club. <laughs> I mean, you haven't mentioned. I can read the hear the contempt in your voice. You haven't mentioned Club Tropicana. Oh well. No, I haven't met a Drinks are free. Yeah. I got worse cultural things, though, than that. <laughs> oh, it gets worse, doesn't it? The, the, the two worst things that could happen to television yep. ever happened in 1983. Come on. The first one is the BBC started broadcasting all through the afternoon for the first time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the other thing is that satellite television sold 65% of its shares to News International. Oh, my goodness. 1983. That's, did you know it's also the same that TV AM? Yes, and breakfast well. time. Yeah. So basically, television became shit in 1983. Just as music became shit. And music became <laughs> shit in 1983. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. Yeah, if okay. anyone, come fight me. Not a fan of, not a fan of Wham. I uh, actually, I, Wham's the one shining light for me. The films, rubbish as well. Oh, I disagree. Come on, then. You're the saying right Flashdance is right a great stuff, movie, are the you? The right stuff came out in 1983. Too long. Oh, God. Quite dull. Meaning of Life was released in the US? Not funny. Educating Rita. Mm, all right, I might give you that one. Local Hero. Oh, I quite like that. Yeah, well, there you go. But again, you've and gone, you've gone very Com- art. And the King of Comedy. Yeah, you've gone very art house. What okay. about Octopussy and Trading Places and Flash Dance and Return of the Jedi? All rubbish. Yeah, yeah I would agree with all that. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Yeah. <laughs> I skipped the, over Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but they're all the box art. They're the ones that people are watching and paying money for. Everything you've cited is all, the, is time- all the sort of culturally interesting stuff, but it's not what people are actually spending Last their money on. Last time we recorded a podcast and we were doing this, you talked about the debut film of Peter Greenaway. I did, actually. So get off your... <laughs> Art house hobby horse there. Popular yeah. culture is really going somewhere in 1983. Yeah. You've got, as you say, television's gone sort of 24-7 and is full of David Frost and, yeah. and Diamond and all that nonsense. Yeah. And then you've got these very popular films. And then even books is, I think Stephen King's got three Christine. bestsellers. Christine came out in 1983. And uh, Terry Pratchett's Discworld f- first book came out that year as well. Hollywood Wives. Jackie Collins. <laughs> You see, you're making my point for me. It's, you've missed, I, it's not you've missed the biggest news story of the year, though. Go on, then. What's that? Shergar was kidnapped. Oh wow! I had missed that. Yeah. I had missed that. Yeah. 
And, and the other thing that came out then was the, the you could start buying CDs. You could. Ruining music again. Ruining, <laughs> ruining music, the first CD. If you go back and listen to a CD after having listened to an LP, it is quite poor, isn't it? Well, this is going to get quite boring quite quickly, but uh, <laughs> uh, actually, if you listen to CDs that come out now, I'm just, this is so. I mean, people are literally going to hang themselves during this. No, session. they're going to invite you on a load of music podcasts but, to talk uh, about it. I but imagine the sound quality on eighty CDs was terrible. If you go back to them, but but actually, I've just bought myself a new CD player. Actually, have you Cambridge Audio? It's amazing. Oh my god! There was a massive heat wave. I was at the Milton Keynes Bowl watching David Bowie during the heat wave. Were you? Yeah, and I, I, I was the, so uh, far away. What was it called? The Serious Moonlight. Yeah, tour. I was so far away from the stage. And I may have been smoking something. Yeah. That the little person on the stage I became convinced was not David Bowie. Yeah. And I was pretty sure that there was a guy standing next to me who was David Bowie watching his own show. <laughs> so the overall picture of 83, quite bland, I feel. Well, and, I, uh, but I, very I, popular. Transitional. You know what it is, Tim? It's a liminal year. Oh, shut up. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club. If you'd like to listen to this podcast without any ads and get immediate access to every episode as soon as it's available, you should check out our Patreon page. If you support us, we'll also share with you all our notes and web links, videos, photos and maps that we generate as part of making each podcast. So just head over to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific Book Club and start the adventure. Now back to the podcast. We caught the tread of dancing feet. We loitered down the moonlit street and stopped beneath the harlot's house. Inside, above the din in fray, we heard the loud musicians play the Troyes Liebesherz of Strauss. Like strange mechanical grotesques making fantastic arabesques, the shadows raced across the blind. We watched the ghostly dancers spin the sound of horn and violin like black leaves wheeling in the wind. Like wire-pulled automatons, slim-silhouetted skeletons went sidling through the slow quadrille, then took each other by the hand and danced a stately saraband. Their laughter echoed thin and shrill. Sometimes a clockwork puppet pressed a phantom lover to her breast. Sometimes they seemed to try and sing. Sometimes a horrible marionette came out and smoked its cigarette upon the steps like a live thing. Then turning to my love, I said, the dead are dancing with the dead. The dust is whirling with the dust. But she, she heard the violin and left my side and entered in. But at that moment, I saw that we had reached the church, which was approached through a wrought iron gate between two overhanging yew trees and situated at the end of a particularly long, very straight path. And on either side and away to the right, stood the gravestones. But to the left, there were some buildings which I took to be the church hall, and the one nearer to the church, the school, with a bell set high up in the wall, and from within it, the sound of children's voices. Now, you're looking a little bit nervous here, mate. Well, I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Why? This is a, a we're in a, we're in, a, we're in the, the graveyard of a church called All Saints in uh, in Skipsey. Skipsey. The church is very old, 1196. Yeah, there are gravestones lying all over the place, like there's been some 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 cataclysm that's pushed them all down and, and smashed them all up. Growing over the edge of the graveyard. There's, there's, in. And then there's a row of gravestones at the end, looking out over a kind of little valley, and then behind it there's an old Iron Age uh, hill fort yeah. with lots of lots of terraces, and it's very... it's very And a copse of trees with lots of with crows, crows in it. cawing. And I am actually, my heart is going, it's a really, really scary place. And I'm, I'm, I'd quite like you to get a move on. Well, let me tell you... Because I don't really want to be here for very long. Let me tell you a tale about this place. Oh, God. 
<laughs> I have found on uh, Julian Cope's uh, very good modern antiquarian website. Right. Okay. But this one, this article is written by Johnny Boy about Skipsy Castle. Right. Which is exactly where we are, right? And that's the that's the Hillfort place. The Hillfort behind the church. Just a big mound, green mound. Skipsy, an out of the way Yorkshire village on the sea coast between Bridlington and Hornsey, is celebrated for one of the most enduring apparitions on oh. record. Oh God. The White Lady. Are you serious? Of Skipsy. Are you serious? I'm completely serious. So not a black lady, but a white lady. It's not lady in black, it's lady in white. Lady in white. Um, Krista Berg isn't helping. As this phantom is styled, has haunted the old castle, of which, nowadays, little more than the foundations remain ever since the days of William the Conqueror. This skipsy ghost, whose local habitation no native of the place would venture near after nightfall, is described as haunting the castle mound in the form of a beautiful young woman of mournful aspect, attired in long white drapery. Occasionally, she may be seen flitting about the entrenchments or slopes of the castle mound, mm. and at times, even in the daylight, she is seen wandering about the precincts of what was formerly her home. How's that? That's in the that... daylight? Yeah. Yeah. How's that? What's that over there? Listed in the Haunted Homes and Family Traditions of Great Britain, 1897, John Ingram. Not bad, is it? If you think about when they died, when the lady... It's died. lovely, but it's, it's, I'm, I, as I said, I'm not, I'm not enjoying this at all. Johnny Boy has his own <laughs> thoughts here. He says, traditionally the white lady is supposedly the spirit of the wife of Drogo de Bavere, one of William the Conqueror's knights who was granted the surrounding lands by the new king. Right. She was also the Conqueror's niece. So when Drogo murdered her, he fled to Flanders before he could be punished. Her ghost has been seen ever since. Oh, my... William the Conqueror's niece. Yeah. He's wandering around here. He then says, as an aside, during the 1970s and 80s, I grew up nearby, and a girl in my class at secondary school who lived in Skipsey once claimed to have seen the white lady come out of a hedge and walk across the road which skirts the Bailey earthworks before vanishing. That's the road we're around. I'm looking at a hedge and that road right now. <laughs> she was a bit of a hard nut, not the sort you'd expect to be up on her medieval legends, but she was adamant about it. Do you want to talk a bit about the landscape? I would like to talk about Skipsy a bit, yes, please. Because the reason I brought you here, this is... I'm um, obviously trying to move you along here. Yeah, I know. And you are obviously taking your time. I know. You, Here's an article. You from absolute the... rotter. <laughs> I didn't realise you were so susceptible to this. This is good. I'm not normally. This is, I've never felt like this before anywhere. I'm going to take you to the woods soon. This is, hor- freaked out. this is horrible. <laughs> Can't you feel it? No. Now look. What's that over there? This is a review of the Atlas No, no, what's of... that over there? Stop it. It's a sheep. It's not a white lady. It's a sheep. Look. This is a book about the Atlas of Vanishing Places lists Yorkshire seaside town with Xanadu and Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Wow, okay. Skipsy is uh, eroding the coast here at up to two metres a year. So Skipsy, where we are, was sort of an inland village and there was another village beyond. Mm-hmm. So we were drove out to the end of the road and literally, literally the tarmac the road, road drops yeah. off a cliff and yeah. then there's the sea, yeah? But there are a number of abandoned villages all along this coast on the... Where are we? We're on East East Yorkshire. Riding. East Riding. The abandoned villages of East Yorkshire lost and forgotten in time. If we could drain the North Sea for just one day, we would find amazing treasures. It is no secret our coastline is eroding with the clay we live upon, eroding at almost two metres a year. East Yorkshire once expanded further into the North Sea... But over the centuries, the land has been lost to the waves and with it, settlements both ancient and modern. The North Sea is no doubt harbouring houses, churches and long-forgotten farmland keeping the secrets of our ancestors safely hidden. So Yeah. Yeah, so come on. That, so there were a I'm load s- of other villages out there. I'm sceptical about the churches and, and houses. I reckon bit. there would have been causeways. Why not? Well, causeways I buy. 
I'm skeptical about the, the, the I'm not I'm skeptical there are intact houses and churches sitting out there because it wouldn't like the sea wouldn't just come in they would have fallen gradually into the sea this is a there'd be piles of rubble and causeways I buy that this is from the Hull Daily Mail what's that over there and it's got a list and it's another sheet mm. the <laughs> Ravens are odd is the most famous one, isn't it? Yes, right, yeah. That was uh, a medieval town that really is on the estuary, actually. Quite and do you near. know what? what? It went under pretty soon after this church was built. Okay, because they're quite old. So there's a really great map on this uh, article with all the towns that have disappeared. But the one that interests me most of all is Cleeton. Mm-hmm. Because laying just off the coast of Skipsea, where we are, Cleeton was mentioned in the Doomsday Book and a manor was well documented on the site. It is thought the land on which the manor stood was lost in 1800, Mm. also incorporating the nearby hamlets of Withow and Hyde. So there was a manor house out there, which must have had a road connecting to it, right? There's one other, I just want to find one last. God, please get on with it. I'm going to have a heart attack here. (laughs) My blood pressure is going through the roof. God, how much longer do you need? Look, calm yourself. You are deliberately slowing this down. Calm yourself. What's that over there? (laughs) It's another sheep. (laughs) I feel you weren't very happy with Yorkshire in the end. Uh, That church was genuinely upsetting. It was, wasn't it? It was really, really weird. I've never felt like that anywhere. anywhere. I was delighted. I mean, going going out with you, I'm used to being in the presence of evil, but I was genuinely felt there was something wicked and awful about that place. I, I felt I'd sort of gone too early that I, with my scary venues that, because there were many to come and I thought, God, if he's going to be this scared now, what's going to happen yeah, next? It, was, it wasn't the story of the, although that was quite creepy, the story of the, the Norman princess and the uh, mm. living in the fort. It was, you know, there were, there were tipped over gravestones everywhere and... Crows. And crows. Stop thinking. Tim's making, Tim's making a face at me now, which is, would chill the blood of... Uh, a very cold-blooded person. I think but, we had um, some quite rational reasons not to like Skipsy and as Yorkshire. a location. Yeah, because yeah, I think there are some things we know from the book that the location has to have, and I think the main thing I took away from the book was the landscape and the sea are essentially at the same level. It's so flat that you go straight off the land onto the beach onto the causeway, up to the house. Yeah, there's a description of him travelling on the pony and track yeah. to the house and he talks about the big sky and the flat land, right? And that's, and that's unusual in the UK. I mean, Criffin Gifford is described as being three miles from the coast. It I, says it's, it's 12 miles to Homerby, so it's 12 miles back to the train station where he had to change to get onto the single line. Yeah. It says it's 30 miles to a large town to the south. Yeah. It's seven miles to any other village. Yeah. And to the east, there's the marsh, the estuary, and the sea. Yeah. So it has a church with a churchyard, as we know from the book. There's a scene in, uh, of the funeral. What else do we know about it in terms of its distances? Oh, that half the land on the Homerby side and several miles east as well is up for sale. Yeah. Well, we also know that sh- the, the train goes through a tunnel before it gets to Crith and Gifford. Yeah. Um, so there is, a high, there is high ground surrounding you know, at one side of the town. So we also know that Mr. Daly lives in a very big sort of um, stately home, really. Yeah. Three it, miles from the town. And it's agricultural land. No farm, around. cottage, no dwelling house yeah. between it and the thing. Yeah. So Driffield doesn't quite meet the... the it's not bad, as we said. It's not bad. It's not bad. But, but, but Skipsy, the coast isn't right. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that we know is there are frequent references to the estuary. Yes. Half a dozen different references. And we couldn't to the estuary. really see the estuary from there. No, I mean, it was north of the Humber. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking at estuaries on the east coast, right? We're right. talking about the Humber. Yes, we're talking about the Ouse, the Wash. Yep, the Great Ouse, rather. Um, but then you're up into the northeast. You're talking about you know, Tyne and Weir and uh, places like that. Yeah, none of which are flat enough to to be to be this book. No. So you're really looking at so that Humber or the Great Ouse, really, isn't it? Yeah, so at this point, I'd have to say, I was getting a little bit nervous. That you weren't going to find the place. Yeah, I was. But then we headed over the Humber. To Lincolnshire. To Lincolnshire. And you took me to... uh, I'd scared you with a white lady, and then I found a woman in black. You found a woman in black, a ghostly presence in the woods of Lincolnshire. In Bradley Woods. Tim, I think we're far enough into the woods now. Thank you very much. 
okay, so this is the next... Where have you brought me, Tim? (laughs) This is our second spooky spot. After the frankly terrifying All Saints Church in Skipsey. We're now in the county of Lincolnshire. And we're standing in Bradley Wood. So, here's an article from Grimsby Telegraph. Okay. <laughs> so Tim just looked over my shoulder and I had to turn around to check that there was nothing there. Basically, there's the Black Lady of Bradley Woods is a very... The Black Lady of Bradley Woods? Yeah. Now, the myth goes like this. You have to come into the wood and say three times, very loudly... Yeah. Black Lady, Black Lady, I've stolen your baby. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then that summons her. Right. Alleged eyewitnesses have described her as being young. Right. Around five foot six tall, dressed in a flowing black cloak and a black hood that obscures her hair, but reveals her mournful, pale, tear-soaked face. The story is known to have been told for many generations. It was once used by parents to frighten children. This appears to have been a common practice among parents in the area, and children were warned that if they were not safely in bed by a certain time, the black lady will get you. Right. One theory is that she's the ghost of a nun who dressed in black and uh, lived at the nearby Nunsthorpe, where a convent existed during the Reformation. There's also a myth that... Oh, is that the hell dog? During the Wars of the Roses, a young woodsman and his wife lived with their baby son in a cottage in Bradley Woods. Eventually, the woodsman left his family to fight, leaving his wife to bring up the baby alone. After many months, there was no news of the woodsman. Every day, she held her child and walked to the edge of the woods, awaiting for the sight of her husband coming home from the wars, till one day the enemy army crossed the Humber and marched through the area. As she was leaving her cottage, the woman was set upon by three horsemen who brutally raped her before snatching the baby boy and riding off, laughing into the woods. Heartbroken and humiliated, she wandered the woods, searching in vain for her child and her husband. Right. Now... It's all quite standard stuff, really, isn't it? I I hope you're going to say it three times. Black lady, black lady, I've stolen your baby. Go on, you say that. Black lady, black lady, I've stolen your baby. One more... Black lady, black lady, <laughs> I've stolen your baby. Okay, I got you to say it, I didn't have to say it. That means you're cursed now. She will follow you. She will follow you to the ends of the earth. Two things about this myth that I find interesting. Okay. One is it's a woman in black. It is a woman in black. Two, it's a woman in black who is associated with children. Yes, having lost a baby. Having lost a baby, and then also the locals saying... If you if she appears, then you'll be taken away by the black lady, the child. So that's essentially the at the bottom that's of this. The, that's spoiler the, alert, listener. Yeah. Essentially, that's the curse of the black the woman in black, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Is that if she's well, if she, if she appears, appears, a child appears, is going to die. A child is going to die. It's not precisely mapped onto her idea, but it's quite it's quite close. I'm wondering whether Susan Hill actually looked up old ghost story myths and around the regions or on the east coast as any kind of research or do you think she just made it up from an amalgam of reading of ghost stories and stuff i think she just made it up didn't she you're not as scared with this one i'm disappointed i, would say I haven't got any kind of there's, there's no, no you know vibe. i've not got any vibe going here stop it <laughs> <laughs> opening your eyes and looking over my shoulder is not going to fly, um, but it's not. It's, it's nothing like the uh, All Saints Church at Skipsey. No. Okay. That was chilling. Yeah. Whereas this is well, you know, it's at least nice we're, woods. we're in a place. It's a nice where woods. a scary woman in black wanders around. Apparently, yeah, yeah. that's all I'm saying. You, yeah, I'm disappointed. Well, you've said the three. You've said the th- said it three times now, and she's not appeared. So, well, there's plenty of time for something terrible to happen to me, isn't there? <laughs> Maybe we can, it can be arranged. We're sharing a hotel room tonight. Yeah. 
So that's the end of part one of our Woman in Black adventure. The Woman in Black experience. Yes. The immersive Woman in Black experience. Well, you, you weren't immersed enough about the Woman in Black. I was very disappointed. That was not scary. Okay. Coming off the Skipsy, which was scary. Yes. The Woman in Black in the, in the woods was like... Also, the woods were a little bit... It wasn't the kind of woods you'd expect to see a ghost in. You might see other thrining things of a... Uh, yeah, in the backs of cars, but uh, not, no, nothing, nothing supernatural. Well, things are going to get scarier in part two. Let me oh, tell you. really? Things yeah. heat up, do they? Yeah, all cool down. <laughs> we're going to go off to the coast, coast of Lincolnshire. Yeah, we're going to go to a place called Donna Nook. Donna Nook. Yeah, um, and then we're going to a, um, another outlet, another right by the Humber Estuary, a place called Tetney Lock, oh. which is very, very haunted. Is it? Yes. Okay. As you well know. As you, <laughs> if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can listen to that right now because it'll be there for you to listen to. That's right. Every part two of any podcast is available immediately to people who support us on Patreon. Yeah, so head over there if you want to listen to that now. Otherwise, we'll be back in a week's time with the second part of our uh, Woman in Black adventure. Yeah, I'm going to scare you. Uh, well, as you know, I already know that you did. But so <laughs> find out more. Ooh. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.